If you had to come up with a plan B to retool as a leader in today's down economy, with the experience and knowledge you already have, these are the exact steps you can take to thrive. Welcome to the Visionary Leaders Circle podcast. I am your host, Dr. Ginny Barrow. Leaders want it all. In this podcast, we talk about it all, from how to integrate all of who you are, from developing leadership skills and empowering yourself with a growth mindset in your career, relationships, finances, and even your emotional, physical, and spiritual health. Thank you for joining us. In this episode, Dr. Jenny Barrow sits down with Maria Santos Valentin. As the Rockefeller Foundation's General Counsel and Corporate Secretary, Maria oversees and advises the Foundation on a broad range of legal matters. In this interview, Maria shares how leaders can cultivate resiliency and bounce back from adversity. To start our interview, why don't you tell us what is your background, what do you do, and uh, then we'll take it from there. Okay. We can describe my background from a personal perspective or from a professional perspective. From a personal perspective, I was born in Puerto Rico in a little town called Ponce and to a single mom. And I have an older sister who's about two years, two years apart. And my mother brought us to New York when I was about five, five and a half. Your typical immigrant story, looking for better opportunities for herself as well as for her kids. I can write a book about my mother's life in particular. You definitely could. (sighs) Who really taught us that your circumstances don't define who you are and what you're capable of doing and that you can rise above your circumstances. So, you know, living in tenements and then projects, housing projects, education being an important part of getting ahead and always being told them, but pretty much having to make your way because it wasn't something that my mother would know how to navigate. Yes, education was important and we knew that we were gonna go to college. Uh, You know, it was my mother, I think, who planted the idea of me being a lawyer, in part because she said I, I kept asking why about everything, and then I would debate <laughs> the answers. So, and I'm really grateful for that. So I went to Fordham University, and it was the only school I applied to. And thank goodness I got in. If I had to do it all over again, I probably would apply to more than one, and then apply to law school. They say that you should pick two that you know you're going to get into, two that you think you're going to get into, and two that in your wildest dreams you'd get into. I think I applied for uh, 12, just oh, to wow. be on the safe side. You, you made up <laughs> <laughs> applying to more than one undergrad. And so I decided to go to Yale Law School, and that changed my life. You know, How tall are you? It changed my life, one, obviously, in terms of opportunities, that you, it opened doors that I would have never dreamed of. And it made me aware of how difficult it is for somebody who is a minority and an immigrant to get to that place and how out of place you can feel in that environment 
when the majority of students come from a different background. Not all, but the majority do. And can talk about a culture and share a culture that was just not part of your upbringing. It taught me a lot about being different. And I think as an immigrant, you feel different. You know, you need to make a decision whether you fit in and you do everything to assimilate or you embrace those differences and accentuate them. That's an interesting perspective right there. And I have to say that assimilation was the thing, right? Learning English and as you went to the next level of education and the next level of education, less and less Hispanics were part of that journey. And it, it's this very individualistic approach to things. I can make it and I'm going to rise above my circumstances. And you don't necessarily think about what you bring with you and what you might be leaving behind. So yes, it teaches you a lot about value and about accentuating the differences and the positives while assimilating at the same time, right? And maybe the word is not assimilating while- Integrating um, maybe? Integrating, bringing a different perspective, making things better. Luckily after law school, I worked for a law firm in New York that represented Merrill Lynch in their investment banking work. And they started to do a lot of work in Latin America. And as one of, if not the only Spanish speaking lawyer, I got to work on those transactions early on and get a, a larger role and responsibility than most junior associates would get. What a great opportunity. And so that was like, wow, you know, and I went to law school saying I wanted to combine my Spanish speaking abilities and my vantage point of somebody who came from a disadvantaged background to help others succeed. I didn't know what that meant at all. I just knew it was this abstract idea. And when I went to that first year at the law firm, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get to this goal and this dream. And it just, the trajectory of my career, I feel like I've gotten to exactly where I wanted to be without knowing what it was and that it was my kind of immigrant spanish speaking values that that actually enabled me to get them yes and i'm noticing in what you're saying too maria that you had a vision you didn't have the how mm -hmm. the vision you had you planted the seed in your own head this is a, an amazing background which is why i asked you to share it with us being a Latina, a woman in, in a world of business, I can resonate with everything that you're saying and then some, right? And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to invite you to, to be with us today. So Maria, let's go into the questions because I know we don't have a full hour, although I would love to have a full hour with you and, and even more. But let's go into the, the questions because I know that your background, being an immigrant, uh, coming from a family where you and your sister and your mom were basically trailblazers once you got to the U.S., despite the circumstances, what would you say today as leaders are the most critical skills that leaders need to have? The two that immediately came to mind 
is resilience. And there's a positive lens to that and a potentially, I don't want to call it negative, but the point is resilience in that if you have a vision to keep going at it, right? But also resilience if that you have obstacles, right? That you don't let those get you down and that you overcome them and actually look at those obstacles as opportunities for growth. Mm. And the other is empathy, being able to put yourself in other people's shoes, because if you're going to be a leader, you need to motivate others and you won't be able to motivate them to join this journey with you if you can't anticipate what are their needs. Thank you, Maria. And Maria, I always like to kind of flip it around to what would you say are some of the biggest coupas that you have seen leaders make, especially during this time of the pandemic, when everybody's either hybrid mode now or remote, or just going through a lot all at the same time, a lot of uncertainty, fear, real fear, the, the fictitious fear that we may feel about the future. What have you seen that have not been necessarily exemplary of what leadership should be doing or could be doing during this time? Transparency. The uncertainty is obvious and palpable in so many different ways. And decisions are needing to be made about all sorts of things, from the programmatic to the operational. And the employees and the grantees, right, are looking for some certainty from someone. And I think that we can only give the certainty of the things that we have control over. And for the things that we don't have control over, actually to not make it seem like you do have control, just to give that certainty, is to actually be able to say, we don't know. We don't know what next week is going to bring. We don't know when we're going to open the offices back up. And to be honest about that. So I would definitely say transparency is one of them. And then balancing, trying to balance the fact that people are fearful and that they're not really working from home. They're working at home during a crisis, especially for a foundation we're needed now more than ever. So our workload is actually much bigger. And we're, tr we're saying that we want folks to balance their personal life and their work life. And the way that they speak is very different from the actions that they take and the requirements on the staff, right? So I would say transparency covers all of those areas, both in terms of saying, we can't really provide the certainty that you want. We can only take it, it's iterative, it's only a step at a time. And the other is transparency around the fact that for as much as you are showing empathy because people are working really hard under very stressful circumstances, you're not actually doing anything and being clear that you can't do anything to really lower that stress level, especially when a lot is being required and demanded from you on a professional level. Thank you for that. And so organizations who are looking to develop their leaders and these skills that you mentioned, resilience, empathy, uh, transparency, honesty, being able to uh, balance the needs of the employees from their personal needs to professional needs. 
what would you say or what would you recommend to organizations in terms of how they approach developing their leaders? One of the mistakes that organizations make generally when they're thinking of promoting people and who are the leaders, that they seem to look at it from the perspective of a checklist rather than a natural ability that can be fostered, promoted, encouraged, developed. And so for me, the first thing an organization would need to understand about the leaders is in the selection process of the leaders and then in the promotion process of the leaders, right? You need to put your employees in the, in the best position for them to achieve their objectives, their goals, that of the organizations, and for them to be successful at it. And for me and, and Jenny, we've discussed this, there are two kinds of people, the, the specialists and the leaders. And there are people who could be really good at their work, but are not good managers of people. And so promoting the, those individuals because they have been in the place for a certain period of time is not a win-win situation for, for anyone. And then to actually see the little diamonds in the rough that have the capability of being good managers and good leaders, but need coaching, need uh, mentoring, and the right tools to be able to advance. You know, one of the things you said, Maria, that, that struck me is that in there you included understanding what the employee's objectives are too. Because if I make assumptions about oh, Maria wants to, to advance, Maria wants to get promoted, and I see you being an amazing individual contributor, and I automatically just say, hey, let me promote her to this role where she will be managing people, you may be miserable doing that. And it may be the only way that you see to advance in terms of earning more. So you may say yes to something that is not really aligned with your objectives as an individual. So it's so important in what you said, understanding and connecting to, to what your employees need. And, and, they, and actually what you said makes me think that is a problem. It's thinking that promotion and value is based on being a manager as opposed to the specialty that you might bring, right? The experience that you might bring. And so if someone who is a specialist thinks that the only way to advance is to become a manager, that's an opportunity missed for the individual and the organization if you don't otherwise promote specialists in some way. Exactly. It makes you question whether the most popular structures that are driven by promotions get you more pay are actually right. What if I only want to stay? Uh, or not only, what if my, my wheelhouse and where I shine is in being that specialist and I want to continue to develop as a specialist without having to have people responsibility? I love what this conversation is taking us. Let's wrap it up by talking about individuals. So you are an individual in an organization, you have a leadership role, and what would you advise them when it comes to developing a unique edge during these crazy times and in general, at any time? What would you say to them, Maria? I would say a couple of things. I would say that it's important to have differing viewpoints so that you're not all just patting yourselves on the back and having the herd mentality to your operations, that it is actually good to have differing opinions. And sometimes that means 
leaders who are managers on the operational side potentially and leaders who are thought partners and not necessarily managers or heading a division that an organization like how I feel about my team I'm only as good as every member of my team and to try and incorporate that into the way that you manage and operate so that it doesn't it feels like everyone buys into whatever the objectives of the organization are and that is it isn't purely this top-down approach and part of that is acknowledging especially in this time racial justice issues and diversity from that perspective knowing that there are things that we don't know and being open to finding out what that is which is very difficult for many people given the stress and the pressures that many of us feel and so i want everybody who's listening and watching to know that we're not in any way saying focus on that only we're not saying uh, ignore everything else and that becomes your full-time job no we're saying open up the alternatives open up the options be as you said receptive to understand or get curious about differences and different viewpoints and perspectives that would enrich the overall service and product that your company and your department produces. Absolutely. And look at it from the perspective of remote working. We all thought that, you know, you, you can't be as productive unless you're in the office. And now you kind of wonder how many people are actually going to go back into an office. And we were discussing the remote work policy, but an event, an external event out of your control is the thing that is making you rethink how you do everything. That flexibility is so important. Beautiful. Maria, as we say goodbye, what would you want to leave the audience with? One last message, and then you can tell them how they can reach you. I was saying before resilience, this is a time where you need to be the most resilient and tap into that energy, resource, spirit, whatever you want to call it, to get you through this time and to see the opportunities in every setback. And I really do believe that there are a lot of opportunities that are coming out of this crisis. Yes. Thank you so much for that, Maria. And how can they reach you if they wanted to connect with you? Can they connect with you on LinkedIn? Yes. So I believe my LinkedIn is Maria dot santos.valentine very good excellent maria thank you so much maria and i look forward to continuing to grow together and evolve together in this journey we call life uh, agreed i'm looking forward to it as well thanks if you enjoy this content subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and if you want to stay in touch and hear from us Join our community to receive valuable strategies and tools at executivebound.com. I'll see you next time.